kind of miss this, but to be honest with you, I'm kind of torn about being up here because it's been really good, hasn't it, to hear some other voices speak to us? I've really enjoyed learning from people like Jillian and Bill and having some different voices uh, lead us deeper into uh, who God is and what God is calling us to do in this world. Anyone with me on that? Have we enjoyed it? Good. Um, And next week, we have one more coming at you. Next week, our good friend Tracy Robertson is back. I know, right? It's good stuff. That's how I felt when she said yes. Uh, Tracy used to be the chaplain um, at the Juvenile Detention Center, and she's going to speak to us about how that has shaped her understanding of God's justice. And she's going to bring a few guests with her as well, and so that should be that's going to be a gooder. I'm super excited to bring her back. And we asked her to do it in the style of a rock opera, but she she kindly refused. So that was going to be some good collaboration with you, but wouldn't that be amazing? My in my the minister at my internship in Montreal, uh, they would all, they're a big fundraiser. I'm going to actually preface this with this. In no way, shape, or form will this ever happen here. Uh, but at their at their fundraiser every year, it was always a silent auction. Um, we've done things like this before, and congregation members would bring in stuff that we would all bid on. And David, my supervisor, he would always have a sermon of your choice um, up for grabs, but it was always done in the style of, and you could fill in the blank. And so some years it's been rap. Uh, he did do an opera once. Um, sometime it was in a haiku, so each point had to be in the style of a haiku. And so that inspired me to ask Tracy to do that, but she said no. Uh, but it's going to be good. But anyways, uh, if you are here for the first time, or if you are just joining us kind of halfway through, uh, for the past couple weeks here at Red Deer Lake, uh, we've been talking about justice. We've been talking about how it is central to our understanding of who God is and what God is like. And we've been asking, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as the church and as fans and followers of Jesus? And we've been doing this because on the one hand it's Lent, and that whole season like we talked about is an encouragement to go into the world, to see the gaps between our world and God's world, and do what we can to bridge those. But going a bit deeper and higher than that, uh, we're also doing this to remind us of who we are and what our place in the world is. We're doing this because we are called to be, um, as Thomas Merton put it, people who live like water. People who are called to, not just in Lent, but every day of the year, be a river of justice. This movement that not only nourishes the world around it, but also shapes and guides it, moving it closer and closer to the kind of world where everyone has a place and everyone has enough. And so we're talking about justice because that's the kind of thing we're supposed to be talking about. That's the kind of thing we're supposed to be thinking about. That's supposed to be our ultimate concern. So that when we go into our daily lives, we go to vote, we go to buy groceries, we go to buy clothes, we interact with our neighbors, we go to our jobs. The whole point of this is to enter into those things knowing about the kind of justice that Jesus wants us to act with. This justice that restores and heals and reconciles. This justice that makes all things new. Are you with me? So, so far in the past couple of weeks, what we've, we've talked about what? We talked about cultural genocide. Um, and how to reconcile with our indigenous neighbors. You guys were super brave last week, because last week we said sex in church, and no one left. 
a joke, but I'm also really proud of you for creating a braver space to talk about why we should talk about sex as a church. And so we had Jillian in to talk about that. And today, uh, we talk about why the church should care about immigration and refugees. And to do that, uh, we will talk about the question we're asking. We're going to talk about a Hebrew word that blew the rabbi's mind. We'll talk about a question that God is asking. And we'll end up, I think, with a Hebrew word that should blow our minds. But before we do that, why don't we bow our heads and say a prayer. Would you pray with me, please? And so, God, this time is for you to enter into our hearts and our minds and speak to us. May you take these words and make them your own. Speak through them, around them, underneath them. Give us a good and hope-filled word to chew on. So, God, we ask that you do your thing. Amen. All right, so first, why this topic? Why do we talk about immigration and refugees in church? Out of all the things we could talk about, and there are many, why this one? Well, a couple of reasons. It's in the news, and so we should be trying to figure out how do we as Christians process this. A couple of years ago, our church sponsored a Syrian refugee family, and we should know why we did that. But also this. Let's get the first slide up there. Last year, 65.3 million people in our world were displaced in one way or another. 21.3 million were refugees. 40.8 million were internally displaced. 3.2 million were asylum seekers. That's a lot of people. Next slide. That means one in every 113 people on earth is an asylum seeker, internally displaced, or a refugee. One of you in this room right now would count as that. Half of the refugees in our world? Children. And the reasons that they are forced to leave generally have to do with war, war famine, poverty, and religious or sexual persecution. We're talking about this. Next slide. Because this is the world that we live in. The reality is that millions upon millions upon millions of our brothers and sisters deal with this reality every single day. And we talk about this because people who live in Canada, a country who receives immigrants and refugees, this is an important conversation we're having as a society. What do we do with those people who are looking to come here to have a new life? Now, there are all kinds of great questions and ways we could enter into this. But for this morning, for our time together here, let's enter into it as fans and followers of Jesus, as people who are trying to see and understand the world and our place within it in a very particular way. And so the, the question I want to throw at us is this. How do we hold this thing as people of faith and spirituality? What is a spiritual perspective that we are called to have on immigration and refugees? And so that's the question we're asking this morning. How do we, as people of faith, come at this conversation? What's the perspective that God is calling us to have? And we could enter into that conversation all kinds of ways. We could explore, for example, 
how Jesus himself, the very person at the center of our faith and spirituality, was a refugee. We could talk about how we have a God who comes to us from beyond. That God enters into our world and lives from the people in places so often written off, dismissed, seen as good for nothing. And all that would preach. Those would be good ways to go at it. But let's come at it at a different way, because I know you're adventurous and brave. And let's enter into this through this really small, innocuous, four-letter Hebrew word that blew the ancient rabbis' minds. And that word, my friends, can be found right at the beginning of your Bibles, in the second chapter of Genesis. And the story we find there is one that's probably pretty familiar to most of us. It's one of our creation stories. It's a story of how God created the universe, of why God created the universe. And having made the world and everything in it, God then took some dirt, breathed into it, and created humanity. And then invited humanity to join in on what God was doing in this world, helping to steward, to the, steward it to this world where everyone had a place and everyone had enough. And of all the beautiful things in that story, about what it means to be human and alive in this world, about why God created, about our inherent worth and dignity and value as humans, about the very nature of God. The thing that blew the rabbis' minds was the most innocuous word in that whole chapter. Adam. Now we pronounce it Adam. Um, and we know it as the name given to that very first human that God created, don't we? That, that archetype and representative of the entire human race. And here's what blew the rabbis' minds. This is so cool. Adam is actually the Hebrew word Adam. And Adam literally means earth. And that makes sense to us, because that's what Adam was made out of, so of course they'd call him dirt. It's this nice play on words. But the rabbis, they saw something deeper going on here. And what they saw was this. Properly translated, Adam doesn't mean earth. It means the earth. So Adam wasn't just created from a pile of dirt that was at God's foot. But to create Adam, God took dirt from all over the earth, from every part of it, from every place, and out of that created Adam, which is to say created humanity. And that blew the rabbis' minds because they saw within it a very powerful truth being told about what it means to be human in that story. A truth that would end up shaping a very big part of Jesus' theology and view on the world. And that was this. To be human is to be of the earth. To be human is to be borderless, is to be global. To be human is to be able to be at home anywhere in the world. Isn't that beautiful? To be human is to be of the earth. It's to be at home anywhere in the world. That should blow our minds. And we could sit with that. We could just let that sink in, and there's a lot we could play with there. But let's go a bit further and see if this understanding of what it means to be human can shape how we hear that other story that we heard this morning. Because that other story we heard this morning, that is one of the most problematic texts in the entire Bible. 
And you might have recognized the story. Uh, The story is part of the bigger story of the Exodus, that really foundational story where God leads Moses and the Israelites out of slavery and captivity in Egypt and into this place, this new land where they could live in freedom. And that's basically what John read to us. We heard God giving to Moses the gist about what's about to happen, about the liberation that was about to take place. And God was saying, I've heard your cries for freedom. I felt your pain. I am going to lead you out of the land you're in and into some new land, the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. It's amazing news. God listens. God hears our pain. God leads us from death to new life. This is where the text gets really, really problematic. And maybe you felt this too as it was read. All those really awkward names that you heard, those aren't country names. Those are people's names. That land that God is leading those people into, it's not empty. It's not vacant. It's occupied by six other peoples. The land that God is giving to Israel is already home to other people. And this should make us stop dead in our tracks because we have some really serious questions we have to rumble with. Is this God endorsing colonization? Is God actually endorsing invasion? Is God okay with genocide? Is God actually advocating for the violent takeover of other people, of other nations? And we need to ask those questions because, spoiler, that's exactly what went down. Israel enters in and takes over. And we need to ask these questions because this is a text that was used to justify residential schools. This was a text to use to justify colonization, invasion, and multiple wars. Well, if God is with us, we can do whatever we want. We can go and take over. So we need to rumble with these questions. But unfortunately... We're not going to rumble with them today because there's another question I think we need to rumble with that this text makes us ask. And that other question is this. While God is saying this to Israel, what is God saying to those six other nations? What is God saying to the people in the land that Israel is about to enter into? What is God saying to those who are about to, about to encounter the 400,000 people about to enter their world, fleeing from persecution, oppression, violence, and slavery? Because so we need to ask that question, don't we? Because isn't that question our question? Aren't we looking for guidance about what to do with the thousands of people looking for a new home? Aren't we looking to figure out what do we do with this issue? Well, what if? What if God is saying to those six other nations, what if God is saying this? I have heard the cries for freedom from your neighbor. I have felt your neighbor's pain. I'm going to pry your neighbor loose from the grips of Egypt and bring them to a land of wide open spaces, a land lush with milk and honey. Your land. I am bringing them here. So hear this. Make some room. 
What if God is saying to those six other places, make some room? Which begs the question, of course, why would God be saying that? And here we get to that other Hebrew word that's going to blow your minds. We've heard about it before, but I like it, and it's a really fun word to say. Zimzum. Do you remember that one? Let me hear you say it. It's fun to say. Zimzum, yes. It's a word that our tradition uses to describe what happened at creation. That when God set out to create, in order to make room for creation to exist, God removed a part of God's self. God shrunk into herself in order to make space for creation to exist. It's a very beautiful concept. It's the art of making space for others. We have a God who makes space for creation, a God who makes space for others, a God who makes room for life to happen. And we have a God who calls us to do the same, a God who calls us to practice the art of zimzum, of making space for life to happen. And we make that space. We make that room by remembering that we are all Adam, that we are all of this earth, We are all neighbors. We are all at home in this world. And so when we enter into these conversations about what do we do with immigration and refugees, how are we supposed to hold this? How do we enter into this conversation? Well, maybe the first thing we need to do as people of faith and spirituality is listen and hear what God is saying to us. And maybe God is saying to us, Hey, Canada, I have heard the cries of the children in Syria. I have felt the pain of the LGBTQ community in Uganda. And I am leading them out of oppression and violence. And I am bringing them here to your country, to your city, to your neighborhoods. I am bringing them here so they can live. So be prepared to make some room. So as we enter into the last week of Lent, May we practice making room for others, seeing in them ourselves, knowing that we are all brothers and sisters. We are all made of the earth, and therefore we all have a home in this world. We all have a right to it, and God is calling us to share it and to make some room. And to that we all say, Amen.